Hello and welcome to the 36th episode of the Red Sox Builder Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Green, back again for another awesome episode of the Post Sox Unfiltered Podcast. Joining me as always is my lovely co-host, Dave Latham. Dave, say hi to everybody. Hello, everybody. What's good, Pat? What's good? What's good? And we also got Chris Drozine on the line, too, who's also our lovely co-host, our editor. The only reason this podcast is possible. Chris, say hello. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put that much on me. That's, that's a lot. You you should have you should have. Uh, the only reason it's and... listenable because we put out yeah. a few before Chris started recording and the audio was just crap. Yeah, you can go back in the archives and you can see what Red Sox and Filtered Podcast was before Chris. The the dark times that I we don't talk much, about. What like episode thirty? Yeah, it's, it's, no, it's, it's like twenty five. It was twenty five. Well, Pat, Pat and I did a few on our own and we were kind of figuring it out. Like we yeah. realized do skype instead of the phone but we were still going through his crappy mixer so there was some there's somewhere it's just like incoherent garbling there's somewhere it's l- like listenable trash and now it's decent now it's decent quality listenable trash <laughs> you wouldn't expect those two words to come back to back in sentence but here no. we are um so we got an awesome interview coming up in a second with uh mass lives chris cotillo um you were definitely going to want to stick around for that that's going to be later in the episode he talks about his career um, as a reporter turned uh, beat writer for the Red Sox, and then you'll hear um, him talk to us about Red Sox content. But before we do that, we're, or before we get to that, we're going to be talking about some Red Sox news that's happened. I don't know if you really call it news. We're still in kind of a slow period of Red Sox activity and baseball activity in general. Um, so we will try to cover as much as possible, but honestly, not a lot to cover. Um, but we're going to give it a dabble anyway. Um, and the first thing we shall talk about is the non-roster invitees. So um, the Red Sox have a slew of non-roster invitees for spring training. Um, among them, we have highlighted, we have Rusny Castillo, Bobby Dalbeck, Chad De La Guerrera. Um, there, there, there are some Austin Rye. We, there's a pretty comprehensive list and, and definitely some interesting guys who are included on it. I wanted to know um, what your guys' thoughts about the non-roster invitees were and who are you most excited for. Um, Dave, you go first. Well, I'm most excited for Bobby Dalbeck to officially uh, destroy Sam Travis as the Grapefruit League all-time MVP because Dalbeck was just made for this type of stuff. It's just, he's... He's just such an incredible power hitter when he actually makes contact with the ball. He hits it harder than literally any prospect we've had come through. And, you know, we've had Yoan Mankata, Andrew Benintendi, Mookie Betts, Rafael Devers. Everyone says that when Dahlbeck hits it right, it's hard. It's better than all of them. It's just he strikes out so freaking much. If he could make consistent contact, he'd be a top 100 prospect, no question. It's just... He just can't make regular contact. So that's going to be a big thing to watch. See if Dahlbeck can like start hitting the ball more consistently. And the other guy I'm really looking into is uh, CJ Chatham. He's probably our most, our highest ranked prospect from the shortstop position. Uh, it's him or Anthony Flores. Flores has a higher ceiling. Chatham's a little more blah, but he's more, he's a safer floor. Um, he's a great defender, so if you're into that sort of thing, it's definitely worth watching out for. He's a good hitter for average. If he can put some power in his game, he can really uh, elevate himself in the prospect rankings, so that's something to watch if he's able to elevate the ball a little bit more. 
And I got to give a shout out to my boy Chad Villagera. Um, I've mentioned him in passing as just like the most random uh, Red Sox prospect in the world. I've seen him at Portland. Nothing too remarkable, honestly, but I like the name. He's a cool dude. So, Chad, I'm rooting for you, buddy. Let's uh, Time to shine, buddy. I think we're all rooting for Chad to do well and break camp, though how He's not going to break camp. Though how unrealistic that is. It will never <laughs> happen. You don't know that. Never. Say I know never. that, okay? How okay. much do you want to put on the line? <laughs> I will not bet. I will not bet on this, but... But, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for him. Uh, what, what about you, Chris? What are your thoughts on the non-roster invitees? And who is most interesting for you to watch come spring training? Um, nobody. Good answer. <laughs> Explain. Uh, mostly because the, the everything's kind of set. It's almost, there isn't much intrigue with the roster at the moment, which is kind of sad um, because I, I do like a good position battle in spring training. I just don't feel like there's there's too much question as to who's going to be... The only real question is the bullpen. And I didn't see too many... I, I could be wrong. I am wrong because I think I'm only looking at a small list. Um, no, you're right. Uh, there's bullpen not, arms? There's only... There's yeah. like one There's none one of the pitcher. bullpen. There's, of the, none of the of bullpen. there's none of the prospects, right? It's of all... Of the non-roster invitees, I think Schwarm's the only pitcher who... Schwarm's the only pitcher. And he's yeah. um, they're still trying to make him work as a starter. Chances are his future is going to be like a Brian Johnson back into the rotation guy. So that there's value in that. He's not going to be in a bull, be in the bullpen at least not this year. He still is a year of Rule Five protection. Twenty uh, twenty twenty, he's got a good shot of sticking in the majors. So I th- it, it's interesting to see how uh, Ruzne Castillo has fallen. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably He's, something interesting for was, me. Uh, was, I feel like the second Rusni Castillo broke the major leagues um, back whenever he, he started the downfall, and it's it just kind of kept going down from there. Though he has put together two nice seasons in a row in AAA, but they will never call him like, up. No power. No power. Oh, it's very Babbitt for me. Like a 372 Babbitt, which is completely unsustainable at AAA last year. Yeah. But it's, he's got a nice complimentary package, but, you know, if they call him up, it'll go against the luxury tax, and his contract is not worth it. Yeah, I guess if I had to say that he I was interested. He can hit interested. singles at an elite rate. Yeah, exactly. But if I had to say I was interested in something, I'm interested to see how the bullpen shakes out, especially if we don't see a Craig Kimbrell or anything added to it, uh, just because of the, the Putnam... Uh, Erasmo Ramirez and Carson Smith and all those guys. Uh, the, I'm looking at a list of seven guys right now um, that are non-roster invitees for pitchers. And I, off the top of my head, I only know a few of them that are relievers. But I think the the relief the the relief market is still interesting to me, um, just because that's the only thing that's up in the air right now. And other than that, I think the the actual position players are already set. I do have intrigue in Gorky's Hernandez just because of his name. <laughs> but other than that, I, like I said, there's not much that intrigues me except for seeing the prospects like Dave mentioned. Yeah, so they added, to clarify, they added the 10 more non-roster invitees to their spring training roster uh, earlier today that was announced. Um, for me personally, I, I think it would be cliche and a cop-out to say among this group, which to be comprehensive consists of Austin Rye, Mike Schwarren, 
uh, Bryce Brent, Rusnik Castillo, Tate Matheny, Cole Sturgeon, Bobby Dalek, CJ Chatham, Chad De La Guerra, and Josh Okimi. Um, but um, they had already announced 10 non-roster invitees um, a week ago. But among this group, Bobby Dalbeck obviously has to be incredibly exciting. Um, but again, that'll be cliche. So I'm going to go Bryce Brents. I'm still not, I'm still convinced that if he was given a chance to be a bench player on a team, he could hit at an above average rate or an average rate at the major league level. I mean, even though he was with the Mets, he found his way back. He was with the Mets last year. He got traded. Uh, 130 WRC plus, 138 WRC plus with the Red Sox the year before. The guy just mashes. He is the best Triple A hitter, who will probably never get regular playing time. Nah, that's not true. Um, but he he definitely still has offensive potential. And if somebody were to get hurt, Red Sox have a great outfield. They have decent depth ish. I don't know actually. JD Martinez is a DH by trade, but can play outfield. And then Brock Holtz also covers that. Um, but Bryce Brent's definitely interesting for me to watch. Um, among the guys they had previously announced, obviously Carson Smith, uh, Putnam, and Ramirez are also guys I'm I'm watching. But yeah, so from the new non-roster invitees, I'm certainly interested in Dalbeck, but to not, you know, not for to not do a cop out. Uh, let, let, let's see if Bryce Brent's can tear up the Grapefruit League. I think he's got the potential. Sam Travis it. At what um, point? Yes. At what point do we stop talking about potential? Like what age? When he's past double A, he's only he was drafted in twenty seventeen. No, we I, are still very I mean, much allowed to talk about potential. I think he's talking with, about Bryce Brents. With Bryce Brents. Oh, you uh, said you said potential and Bryce <laughs> Brents, right? I'm not crazy. I got, I got hot real fast. Oh, no, no, no. I know. Dave, Dave was getting flustered. Yeah, no, no. Like he's, he, like, he's like, been in the did, minors for two did, years. Did you say, you oh, said yeah. potential with Bryce Brents, right? I'm not crazy. He has offensive potential. He did, he's 30. He's, he was drafted I, I mean, in 2010. Yeah. Okay. There's no I potential mean, like, there. I'm sorry. I mean, he, okay. That's so like saying Ruse has potential. What, what, uh, that, that's like, don't, don't, don't Sam Travis yourself, okay? Okay, when I say potential, when I say potential, I mean like it can translate. His offensive skill set in AAA can translate into respectable big league hitter. Obviously, he is not a great defender. He is not a great base runner. His complementary skills, by all indication, are putrid. But offensively, he I feel like he can be a capable major league bat. And when I mean potential, I don't think he can get better than what he currently is. But he's got a nice base to foundation to where if he were given a shot, uh, he, could, he could hit the ball a little bit. That's all I'm saying. Well, you, Sorry you, if I offended you, can, you. You can take your price breaks and I'll... No, I mean, I'm not, look, I don't want to become the guy who thinks that Bryce Brents is, is you know, a superstar in the making or Bryce even for MVP. be a competent MVP player. I'm just saying, in a so what you're, capacity. So I what you're saying is, at the end of the week, we should expect a Bryce Brents MVP argument article from you? No, what, what I'm saying is, it's boring, there's nothing happening right now, and we just spent five minutes talking about Bryce Brents. Sell Mookie. I mean. Sell Mookie bets high. Have Bryce Brent. <laughs> there we go. There we go. There's some potential there right go. there. In other words, that. Um, well, it would probably get us clicks. <laughs> it, it would get us clicks. I have no doubt about that. Um, <laughs> at least one. At least one. We are. We are, we are a little bit above that. 
But um, another thing that has happened is arbitrations. Obviously, the arbitration deadline is coming up, and Stephen Wright uh, reached a settlement with the Red Sox tonight. Um, Cotillo, who will be on in a sec, um, actually tweeted it out. Um, the Red Sox reached a settlement with Stephen Wright for $1.375 million for the 2019 season, avoiding arbitration. And Heath Henry did also earlier. Uh, that would be $1.3125 mil. So both of those guys will get paid a, a respectable sum. I, I don't think there are any complaints there. But, yeah, that's what's going on in arbitration. Um, is there anything you guys are looking forward to in, in the arbitration uh, or the settlements or potentially an arbitration hearing between any of the, the nine remaining arbitration-eligible Red Sox players? Hey, guys. Uh, sorry to interject here, but... We did talk about Mookie Betts and the potential arbitration um, in this episode. Uh, this was before the news came out that he actually did agree to settle it with the Boston Red Sox for $20 million. In fact, we recorded the day before a lot of the arbitration hearings, or not the arbitration hearing, the arbitration settlements occurred. Um, but as such, we are recording this as kind of like a breaking news segment. And I have Dave and Chris on the line again, and we're going we're gonna to talk about um, what, what kind of went down today um, briefly. Mookie Betts, $20 million, unprecedented deal for a second-year second year eligible player in arbitration. Very well deserved, in my opinion. Xander Bogarts also got $12 million. Jackie Bradley Jr., $8.55 million. Bogarts got a close to $5 million increase in Bradley Jr., $2 to $3 million increase from last year. Um, yeah, guys, what what do we think about this increase for for, for these these players? And, and what surprised you about the arbitration series? Um, I want to talk about Mookie Betts specifically, and then if we can move on to some other Red Sox guys. Um, but, yeah, let's start with Mookie Betts. Dave, what, what were your thoughts on this on this deal? So, yeah, um, there really isn't a sum of money the Red Sox could have given Mookie where I'd think, yeah, that's too much money. He's He was the best player in baseball last year. He's one of the top two, depending on where you put Mike Trout. And it's the Boston Red Sox, so we sort of have infinite money. So, so you pay Mookie and you feel happy that basically whatever you're giving him is just a bargain because what he's going to get in free agency when he eventually hits it is going to just be so much more than $20 million. He's worth... He, there's no way to put a monetary value on how much he's worth. He's just that good. So hallelujah, he's ours. Uh, yep, yep. That that sounds about right. What about you, Chris? What were you thinking of the, this historic second year of arbitration eligibility deal for Mookie Betts? I'm just glad they found common ground with him, uh, just because it it doesn't open the door for an extension, but at least that means that they can find common ground between. Bets in the team saying, hey, I'll play for this money, you know. Whereas before it was kind of like, oh, he's just going to fight them tooth and nail for every dollar until he hits free agency. Um, so at least in this respect, I mean, he may have, had he gone to uh, arbitration, he may have gotten more money for all we know. Um, but I think, I think it's good for them to settle. Yeah, it's it's good. Uh, I, I and we talked about this with Chris Cotillo in the upcoming interview as well. But um, I do think that this is a this is a good agreement in, in so far as that they're not going to have to go um, and you know go to these arbitration cases, which you know by all indications have some ugliness to them. 
and that they don't have to disparage the guy that they want to be their cornerstone player for years to come. So, yeah, as you said, great common ground. Mookie Betts is ours. Um, but what did you guys think of some of these other deals? I know the Bogarts and Bradley Jr. were some other big ones, but do you guys have any other anything else surprise you about these settlements, uh, Dave? Yeah, Sandy Leone, $2.475 <laughs> million. That's not happening. That's not going to be there by the time the season starts. Sandy Leone is at best our third catcher right now. Well, he is our third catcher. Um, uh, Vasquez is locked in as the starter. We signed him to that contract before the beginning of last year, so he's our guy. Swihart, even if you're not a believer in Swihart, he's only getting like $910,000 next year, which is pretty considerable savings. You can ride with him as your second catcher pretty easily. Sandy only provides you defense, which, you know, that is valuable in today's day and age. There aren't many good catchers out there, but for $2.5 million, trade him for a like low-level, single-A like infield prospect who's maybe going to be Devin Marrero someday. Just do it as a salary dump. Maybe you get something good out of him. Probably not, but you can't hold on to that money. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Chris? Anything surprised you about, about today? Sandy Leon was the biggest surprise, I think. Other than that, I mean, it's interesting to see how much Bogart's got in relation to Betts and how expensive Bradley's getting, as well as Brock, Brock Holt being $3.5 million. It's just interesting to see, like, what, what the numbers end up settling at. Like, I'm all for giving the players as much money as they want and as much money as they should be worth. But at the same time, you, you look at it and you're like, wow. I think I saw it somewhere that was, like, $20 million worth of raises, $23 million worth of raises for their for everybody. They're um, about, yeah. Something like that. And that's that's a that's a pretty big number. Um, and it's just, I, I, I haven't looked at, like, where they came in as far as projections, though. Didn't get a chance to do that. I know we put this together real quick. Um, I saw that um, on Reddit. And, again, this is Reddit, so maybe not the most... Most accurate source, but they said we were about we were we were about a million over what we were projected to be. That's, that's not bad. Which that's not all things bad, considered, bad. not that bad. Because I'm fairly certain yeah. there was probably a lot of give and take amongst this group. And that's also that that million is including Tyler Thornburg's 1.75 million, which is non guaranteed. So if he doesn't make the roster, we're actually under our projection. What was Mookie Betts projected at? Eighteen. Uh, Eighteen. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. He was the big jump. The, yeah. Though Bogarts and Bradley had pretty, pretty sizable jumps themselves. Um, but in, in the grand scheme of things, like Bradley will have one more year of arbitration eligibility, and I see him probably hovering around 10, 11 that's, million next year, which isn't bad. That, that's not bad. And then Bogarts, uh, obviously not going to jump up anymore unless they I resign him. He's so. a free agent unless... Uh... Some of the big guys that um, in terms of these arbitration jumps are coming off the books in the next couple of years in terms of if, if they don't renew their contract. So these, these, uh, these hefty prices that they have to, you know, the Red Sox have to calculate into their free agent plans um, won't be as, uh, as a, not egregious, but it won't be as, as much to burden um, when they're forecasting how they want to do the rest of their, their free, their free agent plans, off season plans. So yeah, Definitely interesting. Real quick thing. If you're, if you, if Boogie Betts still, like, he has, what, another year of arbitration, right? So, yeah. If you're the Red Sox, 
you try to nail that number down now and extend him, right? Like right after Bryce oh, yeah. Harper signs, absolutely. Bryce, right after Bryce Harper signs his deal, you go to Mookie and say, "Hey, we'll give you the same, if not a little more, than Bryce Harper." Right? That's what I do. I would. Well, uh, I I, yeah. I would think about it. I don't it. see any reason why Mookie would take that, but I exactly. definitely try to make it happen. Oh, a hundred percent, because. These unknowns, and what's he going to make in arbitration next year if he has the same kind of year? Yeah, I mean, uh, all of it. Yeah, like, he's, yeah he's going to make like, he can all probably, of it. I, I think 30. If he, can, if he has another Mookie Betts year, I think he hits 30 next I year. I think he definitely get 30. That's but, crazy. But then it's like, I mean, Mookie Betts is coming off an all-time great year, 10, 10 war. Obviously, he's he had a better F4 season than Mike Trout's ever had in his career. Maybe this isn't the ideal time to sign him because he is, you know, coming off the MVP. But um, I think we all expect Mookie Betts to be in the MVP conversation next year and like every year going forward. So it really doesn't matter when. Just sign the man. Yeah, but like he, I, I get that I just you think, know, he's probably not going to be as good as he was in 2018. Yeah. But like if 2017 is his floor, that's still a really damn good player. Just sign oh, yeah. him, and it's the Red Sox. You don't need to be super payroll efficient you don't need to be the oakland athletics he's in he's one of the best players in baseball top five for sure you, you want him around for the foreseeable future he's like he's in his or he's in his mid to late 20s this is the absolute perfect time to lock him up and you have you know, to assume that he's going to want at least bryce harper money so he's going to want a lot more i think more yeah. even if, but even if he wants more it's one of those things where he you at least more. you at least have a benchmark because right now there isn't really a benchmark when you think about it, what number do you give him? That's yeah. There's well nobody, over thirty, but there's nobody comparable, right? There's nobody really comparable. Mike Trout. Yeah, because last much. year's free agency, JD was the big guy, and he was he's a DH over thirty. That's not a fair comparison at all. Yeah, I think, yeah. Bryce Harper I think to me Bryce is Harper's, probably going to be the most. Yeah. So, but Mookie Betts yeah. is better. If Bryce Harper, he's better players, and younger. But if Bryce Harper younger? plays three hundred million, but at, not at really the time of his age. deal, what? At the time of his deal, bets will be um, at the end of his contract. It'll be like twenty-seven and twenty-eight, and Bryce Harper is what twenty-seven now. So yeah, I think right. the same age. Bryce Harper 26. was like Bryce the Harper was age. like twelve when he debuted. So yeah, yeah he was. look at him now. But but Bryce Harper's been obviously so inconsistent. Mookie Betts uh, has the defensive pedigree every year to be. The oh yeah, he's a significantly better player. Significantly better. So I see Mookie Betts. Uh, destroying the whatever Bryce Harper gets this year. I, w- I wouldn't rule out a $400 million contract. I wouldn't rule out 500 You know what? I'm we're, we're going a billion. I will Just give him the out. entire GDP <laughs> of, like, America. He can, have, <laughs> he can have my salary. You don't make what Mookie Betts you want to make. Do you want to disclose your salary, Chris, to see if it's comparable with what Mookie Betts you get? It's not. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Combine all of our salaries. Chris, if it is, we're actually doing that Thailand trip for the elephants. Right? I'd be be funding that. I would already be there. I would have already gone and come back if I had that kind of money. But here I sit. Maybe someday. Maybe this... Maybe someday. Do you guys have anything to add about the arbitration before we uh, uh Quick out? thought. Eddie Rodriguez, $4.3 million. That's a really good deal. That's a good quick That is a good deal. That's a good departing thought. I have nothing. What about you, Chris? I got nothing. All right. 
Well, enjoy the rest of the episode. Thank you for listening to this beautiful interjection. Pay Mookie whatever he wants. Don't bring it to arbitration. Whatever Mookie's asking for, he's worth it. You, like, Dave Dombrowski, if you're listening to this, whatever case you're going to try to make for why Mookie doesn't deserve an endless sum of money, you cannot make. He's the perfect baseball player. Pay him what he's worth. Don't, don't drag him, this out again. Give him the keys to the city. Give him the keys to Give him to the Fenway keys Park. to the planet. Give him the nuclear him, codes. I don't care. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think he, I think he's earned that. Yeah, uh, yeah I agree. Uh, we'll talk to Chris about that, Chris Cotillo, um, later in the show, and he talks. He he lauds the same sentiments that that Dave does, and most Red Sox fans do. Um, what about you, Chris Drozine? What do you think about the upcoming arbitration um, deadline? I feel like the only interesting thing is Mookie Betts, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, essentially. Yeah. I mean, yeah. these guys are going to get paid, and it's, it's, I feel like it's going to be interesting to see how close they are going to get to the luxury tax threshold and how far they're going to potentially exceed it. Um, but, yeah, that, that's what I'm looking forward to. This is, kind of like, this is kind of the, the, the variable that, that I, I don't know. It, like Andrew Benintendi, we heard about potential extension. It's the kind of variable that messes with an offseason and offseason plans, I'm sure. And I feel like maybe, maybe this is a larger MLB thing. I wonder if the arbitration deadline has anything to do with uh, free agent numbers. I bet you it does. It could because these are the variables. So the variable, the variables are. Don't you want your variables to be known as a business before yeah. doing something else? Before they make the splash and you know unload sixty million dollars on Craig Gimble, they need to know how much they're going to actually have. I mean, you can project it pretty easily based on you know they they probably have a comprehensive analysis of of how the arbitration probably will go, and they probably have uh, margins for errors worked in. They're smart, but yeah, you do want to see roughly how the arbitration goes before maybe spending more money. See what kind of situation you are in financially. But yeah, uh, segueing that in. Craig Kimbrell, and we'll talk about him later too, um, because that's all Red Sox fans are talking right now. Craig Kimbrell uh, is seen as so. It's been weird because early indications, you know, probably not going to come to back to the Red Sox. But as the winners progressed and relievers are dropping, Britain signs with the Yankees, re-signs with the Yankees. David Robertson goes to the Phillies. Kelvin Herrera signs with the Chicago White Sox, and the reliever market becomes more bare and thin. And the Red Sox have an evident need for another bullpen arm with the departure of Joe Kelly and Craig Kimbrell still not being signed. Um, it seems maybe more likely theoretically that Craig Kimbrell will come on. But then we had Dave Dombrowski uh, refute these speculations and say that they're still unlikely to bring him back. But it is within the realm of possibility considering that Yasmani Grandal just settled for a one-year $18 million deal. And that Jed Lowry just signed for two twenty, or you know, uh, Brian Dozier one nine. All these lower um, deals for shorter years, shorter AAV than what was expected. That Kimbrel's price has fallen down. Even looking at Robertson and Herrera and what they got, kind of makes it seem a little bit like Kimbrel's market has definitely fallen, and he will not get a hundred million dollars guaranteed, which was his original asking price. But it's interesting. Um, what are the, your 
what do these developments mean in your mind in terms of where the Red Sox are standing with Craig Kimbrell, Dave? So when Dombrowski said that, you know, he's not in the market for a high-priced reliever, I believe him to an extent. I don't think he's going to break the bank on Craig Kimbrell because if he was going to do that, it would have already happened. But I do believe that, you know, we're still interested in bringing, in bringing him back at the right price. All I hear when Dave Dombrowski says I'm not interested in a big reliever is a year ago when Dave Dombrowski said, yeah, we don't need J.D. Martinez on this team. I'm comfortable with the lineup. We eventually paid the guy $20 million a year, which well-deserved money. It won us a World Series, and it was a great deal. But at this point, it's just leverage talk, just letting, uh, you know, just trying to, you know, keep Kimbrell's price, you know, as low as possible, get him on as much of a team-friendly deal as you can. I'd be, uh, you know, it's a long offseason, anything could happen, but I, I'd expect him to come back to the Red Sox. What about you, you Chris? Is, is Kimbrell coming back in your mind? No. I agree. I, I think. Why? I, I just don't, I feel like, Dave Dombrowski, throughout his uh, tenure in baseball, has tried to build bullpens on the cheap. And then he came to the Red Sox and spent a whole ton of money on the bullpen, a whole ton of prospects, because you think their prospects are basically money. And, well, look what happened. Tyler Thornburg died. Carson Smith died. And the only ones that were left were all these scrap heap. Not necessarily scrap heap, because they don't say scrap heap. But guys that were repurposed for the bullpen or what have you. Um, so I feel like he's thinking to himself, well, I mean, we don't really need to spend $15 million to $17 million on Craig Kimbrell um, when I just won the World Series with a patchwork bullpen where everybody was calling for Joe Kelly's head and everybody was calling for an eighth inning guy and they were able to still win without those things. So I just don't, I just don't see it. It's hard to tell what the market is for Craig Kimbrell. Really, beyond the Red Sox, it makes sense that you would say the Red Sox are the only ones. But there's got to be another team. There's always another team. It's like out of nowhere, um, teams sign guys all the time, and you just don't expect it. The elusive and alluring mystery team. Love them. So uh, this isn't Red Sox related, but considering it has huge implications on the Red Sox biggest division rivals, uh, the New York Yankees, we're going to talk about it briefly. Manny Machado situation. This I feel like everybody's waiting for these dominoes to fall off. Bryce Harper, Manny Machado still have yet to sign. Biggest free agents by far. It's been a few months since free agents was declared, and Machado. There are rumors that have kind of indicated, and I don't know what to trust because there's a lot of conflicting information being reported there. Um, but it seems like Machado has been getting better offers from the Phillies and the White Sox. And the Yankees are still very much infatuated with him, but they seem to be more, um, more have taken a seat as the third team. Um, I don't know if that's what you guys are hearing too, but I think that was a basically to the effect of a Bob Nightingale tweet earlier. So yeah, Manny Machado, is this guy going to the New York Yankees or what do we make of, of these new rumors? Uh, Dave, what do you think? Yeah. Um, Really, at this point, the only way it's the Yankees is if they overpay everyone else, which for some reason the Yankees don't seem to want to do that right now. That's normally their forte, but you know it's got to be a disappointing season for New York if they don't get Machado because 
you know, outside of James Paxton, what have they really done this offseason? They're still an incredibly talented team and should challenge for the division. But in a season where, you know, everyone was linking Bryce Hop- Harper and Manny Machado to them for the last two or three years, doesn't look like they're going to get either. It's ju- it's surprising more than anything else to me. Yeah, I think it is a little surprising. Um, but then again, I don't because the Yankees are obviously their outfield is they have too many outfielders as it is. So Bryce Harper was never. Uh, it was a nice. It was a nice fantasy, but didn't seem practical. Manny Machado, you could see a little bit of a fit there, but you look around the diamond in the infield even, and you see Miguel Andahar, who's kind of our kind of equivalent to Raphael Devers in terms of you know offensive, offensively a stud, um, but defensively there's still some questions. Raw, young, um, and they signed Troy Tulowitzki, which was interesting. They have some nice infield depth. They. Uh, Didi Gregorius is out for a little bit of time, but he'll be back. And then you still got uh, Gliber Torres at second. Do you want to give up on Luke Voigt at first, who looked like the best hitter in baseball in the second half? Like, they're, they're, this infield is talented. Um, that that Luke Voigt thing is going to backfire. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. And they saw Greg Bird. But we, I like him more than Greg Bird. Well, yeah. yeah I think everyone does. But, but it's going to be one of those things where. People are expecting the world of the guy, and he's just not going to live up to it. Yeah, but like I just think that Manny Machado would be an odd fit. Like it would be almost like forcing a puzzle piece that just doesn't fit because they already have a lot of talent in the infield, and the teams are very currently—I uh, mean, not—they're very even um, in terms of roster talent. Maybe you give a little bit of advantage to the Red Sox, but they—they they have brought Jay Hat back. They have re-signed CC Sabathia, even you know with his uh, medical conditions. And they don't get me started game. on Hap, okay? We're not going to talk about Jay Hap for Dave because we don't want to make blood pressure go through the roof. But yeah, this is a this is a interesting situation to monitor. I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to add, Chris. Uh, you mentioned the, the forcing the puzzle piece to fit. Isn't that what the Yankees used to do? They pretty much just spent. I and think they figured it out later, did. right? That's pretty much what they did. Now all of a sudden, was, they're, not, now all of a they're not doing that. And I think Brian Cashman. Go ahead. Go on. No, no, sorry, sorry. Okay, go, sorry. I, I think they just, it, it's almost like a, like a like a 180 turn from what they used to do. And I don't know if that's, yeah. I don't know if that's Cashman not being an ownership puppet or if ownership just saying, here, Cashman, do your thing. And Cashman's just doing his thing. I still definitely think they could swoop in and get him um, if they are so compelled to do so. Um, in terms of Cashman, I think he's definitely become less of, as you said, an ownership puppet. Um, he, I feel like he'd always wanted to be the practical one. He wanted to show that he could be savvy and not just spend to win money. And then in like 2014, when they were forced to, around that time at least, when they were forced to rebuild and tear it all down, and he did it so swiftly, elegantly, and beautifully, and he got a bunch of awesome prospects by and you know trading relievers and then even signing Earl Chapman back again after they extracted so much value like Laboratories, they kind of trusted him more, and they're saying, you know, the ownership is taking a step back and letting Cashman run the show. Yankees are an incredibly talented team. I know that's not popular to say on a Red Sox podcast, and I think they're very comparable to the Red Sox, and I don't think they need Machado. Obviously, it would be nice, but, yeah, these, these rumors are interesting. Hello again. Uh, this is Interjection Part 2, because everything is happening <laughs> in the span of when... From when we recorded yesterday and today, when we're editing and everything, um, we chose the, the, the worst the, possible time to record. The in baseball other words, world yes. has been deader than a doornail. 
for how long? Yeah, everything's now? happening. And then everything everything's happened happening. right after we recorded that last night. They so waited for us. Yeah. They to waited fair, for us. We, to be fair, we should have had the foresight to know when the arbitration deadline probably was and recorded then. But you know, hey, I'm not mad. It's about our it. first off season. We, yeah. we give ourselves a pass. We'll yeah, be better yeah, next yeah. year. We, the, but it, the Red Sox won the World Series in the first year of this podcast existence, so. Yeah. Exactly. So, you get a pass. And I take full pass. credit for that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, 100%. Yeah. That's all on us. You're um, but, welcome, Red Sox Nation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this time we're we're talking about DJ Mayhew. This is going to be quicker. Um, not really Red Sox related, but in the episode, we do talk about Manny Machado and the Yankees situation quite a bit. Update on that. Yankees signed DJ Mayhew to a pretty nice two-year deal. He was the highest rated second baseman left on the market and DJ LeMay he was a pretty skilled player very good defender a good hitter um definitely fills the Yankees infield I don't even know if they had a need but their infield depth it's a lot harder to see Manny Machado in a Yankees uniform as such uh Dave do you want to offer a quick opinion on this yeah so this deal definitely signals no Machado in New York which I'm happy with he's a fantastic player even if he is a bit of a dirtbag um, I don't really know why the Yankees did this. Like, I get he's a great player, but but he's primarily a second baseman, and he doesn't have much experience at short, which, with Gregorius out, is what they need right now. Um, you have Glaber Torres at second. I mean, I guess he could transition to short, but yeah, I don't know. It it just feels like you have a gold glover at second. Why would you want to move, move him around all, and all that? I just feel like it's a strange fit for me. It makes the Yankees better, but... I don't know why they'd choose this instead of Machado, because it's the New York Yankees. It's not like money is ever going to be an issue with that franchise. I definitely see Torres playing shortstop, because, I mean, he came up through the through the prospect ranks as a shortstop. Um, and, I, yeah, I don't think DJ LeMahieu is going to move. But it definitely, you are moving some pieces um, to accommodate LeMahieu, but they needed an infielder, and LeMahieu is a lot cheaper than Machado, and... Uh, yeah, well, they said uh, he's about, gonna play. He's gonna play second, third, and first, right? LeMahieu. Yeah. They didn't even mention shortstop for LeMahieu. It's gonna be a huge logjam though when uh, Didi gets back. Yeah, because you have Anderhar at third, Didi at short. You probably move Torres back to second. What do you do with the it, rest of the guys? This and yes, is like Lewitsky in there somewhere too. They don't need to Lewitsky in there, but well, they yeah, need a strong. No, you need to Lewitsky in there. Need him in there. I thought That's like saying good. we need Eduardo Nunez in there. Um, yeah, he, he can ride the also, bench, but I thought like that was just going to be their emergency plan while Didi got better. Now I, I, uh, it I just think feels it's like it's a log jam. Like right now, for like the first few months of the season, they'll be fine, but it's going to be a bit of a too many cooks situation going on. I mean, similar to their outfield. I mean, they have Stanton, they have Judge, they have Hicks, they have Gardner, they have Clint Frazier, who I don't I don't know what's up with his life, and Jacoby Ellsbury. You know, uh, still still alive and breathing. The um, reason we have Chris Sale, exactly. But yeah. wait, Jacoby Ellsbury is the reason. When yeah. Jacoby left in uh, whenever he did after 2013, and he signed that monster contract, the Yankees got a comp first pick. That first round pick turned into uh, Michael Kopech, who we traded for Chris Sale. I actually wow, that was huh. I, wow. Yeah, I, if you want to go Kobe. even. If you want to go even farther back with that, the pick we took to uh, get Ellsbury, we only got because when we traded uh, Nomar for Cabrera, Cabrera signed a big deal after that, and that pick became Jacoby Ellsbury. So because we traded Nomar Garcia Parra, Chris Sale is on the Red Sox. 
And then the Red Sox won the 2018 World Series with Chris so, Sale as one of the indirectly nice, Theo Epstein won us another World Series. This is this is a nice uh, Theo Theo nice Theo. I enjoy it. Yep. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's interesting a, tidbit for a, kids listening out there. Yeah, a plus a plus nugget there, Dave. Yes, it yeah. was a golden nugget. Yeah. If you need stupid, completely useless facts or trivia, I'm your guy. Have you ever seen Have you ever seen Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory? He is the goose laying the golden eggs. <laughs> Dave, congrats! I didn't know that about you. Yeah, you know, learn something new every well, day. Well, then there's the scale. When the egg falls out, the scale says whether it's bad or good. And the good golden oh. eggs go to the trash, or the bad golden eggs go to the trash. Yeah, and they, the good uh, ones are kept shined they send up. They that one kid down the trash. Yeah, down the trash. Which one was that one? Oh, that was oh, the one that got eaten by the squirrels or something. I haven't was, seen the movie in a while. Wait, did you you talk about Charlie in the Chocolate Factory? Not not Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. I'm talking Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. The good one or the Johnny Depp one? The good one. Okay. <laughs> There's no squirrels in the good one. <laughs> okay. It's yeah. been a like, long you gotta time. Got Johnny Depp like that. Have you seen the movie? Yeah. Oh, it's you know why? Though, admitted, <laughs> I know why. You're just gonna CGI <laughs> the all over the place. We are yeah. way off track in this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to stop there. Um, thank, yeah, It's the yeah. off season, and then I it's think it off-season. shows in our last few episodes. Uh, it does. It does for sure. <laughs> but, yeah, sorry about that, guys. Um, but, yeah, we just wanted to provide an update for you guys on the Yankee situation. And so when you're listening to the Machado stuff, um, you know that we know that DJ LeMahieu is an important factor now um, in hindsight. But yeah, thank you for listening, and enjoy the rest of the show. Um, the last thing we're going to talk about before we get to this interview is Carson Smith. Now, we haven't had a podcast in 10 days, so it's, it's been a little bit. It's been a hot minute, so we missed this news on the last one. I know this isn't you know original or new, but Carson Smith, back with the Red Sox. Minor league deal. How do we, how do we feel about this? Um, obviously, Carson Smith left the team midway through the year after he sustained an injury and effectively implied that Alex Cora's management of the bullpen and his arm in particular was the reason he got hurt, which is weird because Alex Cora was like, you know, the most player health conscious manager in the world. And he used like this innovative um, conservation strategy throughout the year to maximize the players abilities. And, Carson Smith saying this was a complete departure from what the media and everyone had reported and what he actually was doing. So this caused a rift between Smith and the Red Sox, and Smith ultimately um, was released. But now he's back. And there's no doubt Carson Smith's got potential. And even when he pitched last year, he was talented. But optically, this could be a head-scratcher a little bit. Dave, what do you think? Well, first off, we can't talk about Carson Smith and not mention your innate ability to jinx anyone who does anything good for the Red Sox. I forgot um, about this. Explain. So, yeah, back on, I think it was the game before Carson Smith threw his yep. glove, you wrote an article about like how Carson Smith has like basically been a godsend, how he's finally uh-huh. his pre-injury form, life yep. is great, and yep. then he's gone for the season. I remember you wrote another true. one. You wrote yeah. another one about is Sandy Leone buying into the launch angle, talking oh. about how he was having some offensive uptick, and then he he's was. The worst then he's have, then he's the worst hitter in baseball the second half of the year. 
<laughs> Please I, I believe it, me, he was. I think it did something to Swihart too. I, I no, I think I expressed skepticism about Blake Swihart um, for a little bit, but I will have to point out what about my my uh, persistent and frantic JBJ articles calling for the fact he was going to turn out his offensive performance around, and you know what he did, Dave. You know what JBJ <laughs> did. You're going to ask the SMVP. You're going to have to talk to our boy Tebow Couch about that. Oh yeah, Tebow Couch has a question for us that we got we got to address too. Yeah, but anyway, back to the question. It is weird that like you know Carson Smith's coming back since he ended the season on such rough terms. But you know it's a minor league deal. He's not like costing money against the luxury tax or nothing significant anyway. And if he makes the roster, makes an impact, great. There is a good pitcher in there, albeit two years of injury have really sapped his ceiling. And if something good turns out, awesome. If not, who cares? So, whatever. Retweet. Uh, what about you, Chris? Uh, yeah, the Carson Smith, like, it, it was a, the whole, that whole thing was head-scratching. The whole, like, back and forth. And, and it's surprising now that he's coming back. It's almost like he tucked his tail between his legs and came back and said, like, I'm sorry, kind of thing. Um, or, you know, maybe the Red Sox were the only ones that called. Probably that, that. that. That's probably more likely that the Red Sox are the only ones willing to uh, dive into those weird waters. But that's that's my that's where my thoughts on Carson Smith begin and end. Um, yeah, people that don't own things kind of bother me. <laughs> Just as like a <laughs> side note about who I am as a person, uh, you know, <laughs> if you mess up. Just own it. Just be like, yeah, I got a little mad and threw my glove, so there goes my arm. Don't don't try to blame that freak injury on overusage, you know. Especially uh, yeah. when Alex Carr is like the least overusing coach in the world. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense to be like. And I love hey. how like like that 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 can sometimes turn into a players versus coaches thing, but like all the players are like, dude, we have no idea what this guy's talking about. Yeah, it is just like, dude, you threw your glove, you were angry, you messed up, you hurt your shoulder doing it. Don't. Just you have the temperament of a ten-year-old. Just leave just, it at that. You know what? Just, just be like, you know what? I gotta work on some things. This is how I better myself. And that's, uh, yeah. t- that's talking adult with Chris today. Yeah, I mean, I feel like everyone agreed at the time and, and now that Carson Smith probably should have had that discussion with him in-house if it did bother him, and he somehow distorted it in his head that that was the case, um, and then you know avoided the whole media snafu and had those comments come out publicly and not talk to Alex Cora first about them. I mean, if, I he wants, all agree if, that. if Carson Smith wants to come and talk to me about like owning your mistakes, I'll sit down and talk. I, I can give him a talk. You can give him a, a give dad him like, lesson. Yeah. I'll give him like a dad talk. It would be great. I feel like you guys are the same age. I feel like that would be a I, little, I, uh, I think he, yeah, <laughs> you might be older. You might, you know. might, you might be or younger the age. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'll have to uh, yeah. send this to the Google machine and ask it. <laughs> yeah, see how old Carson Smith is. But before we actually, I'll let Chris figure that out, but um, before we um, get to this interview. He's older we're than gonna, I am. He is. What, what is he, 30? He, he's 20. He's 29? Wow. Uh, Why? Makes sense. What? He's been injured for a while. I didn't expect him to be 29. Uh-huh. That's what happens when you t- use lose two years of your life to arm injuries. I guess, but yeah. uh, he was born. He he would have graduated with me. Yeah, 
Time huh. goes by fast when you're having Tommy John. Um, but we are, we always take podcast questions from the Red Sox Unfiltered account at Bo Sox Unfiltered. Definitely give us a follow. And we got one today from Tebow Couch Potato at Tebow Couch. He's one of our loyal followers on Twitter. Great Might be the most loyal. He's up there. Yeah, one of the best. We definitely enjoy his tweets. Dave and I run the account, so we probably get some conflicting Red Sox information from us because we don't necessarily share the same opinions. Um, <laughs> There's but, a few times yeah. where it looks like one of us just has like a serious like like internal battle every like situation. I think one day you guys just like sit there and fight each other on that on that. On that we did of, once about just, uh, sacrifice bunt. Yeah, just yeah. just just, just <laughs> reply <laughs> just reply to each other and just make this big long thread. <laughs> You guys just replies uh, so it's like some crazy person talking to themselves. Mike said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Uh, but yeah, so he says, "Okay, I've been going back and forth on Twitter with people on this. Should JB JB sign to a long term deal? I say no. People seem to forget how historically awful he was in the first half of 2018. Sure, had a great postseason, but how do we pay him for just a regular season glove? What? I'm gonna let you start because I got a lot to say. Dave, go oh, ahead. Geez. You ruffled right, so, the feathers. Yeah, this is going to be uh, a little soliloquy from Pat, so I'll try to keep mine short and sweet. Ten minutes so, long. Um, JBJ was JBJ was bad earlier, early in the year. There was a lot of bad luck that went into that. But he's a streaky bat. He's a fa- fantastic fielder. We all know that. He's prone to hot stretches. He's prone, prone to going cold. Personally, I don't think we should sign him long-term just because we have too many other priorities, like... Look, you can't sign, you can't put Jackie as higher priority than, you know, Mookie or Xander or any of the other, like, well, maybe not any of the other, but like, Chris Sale's a free agent, you have to think about that. If you trust his shoulder, he's obviously above Jackie. There's only so much, so many big contracts you can hand out. He's a great player. He's a very good player, and he's going to make some team very happy, but I don't see a way for the Red Sox to, where it makes financial sense to extend him over somebody else. Okay. All right. Uh, what about you, Chris? Nah. Oh, nah. Yeah. Nah. I'm, good. <laughs> right. I'm all set. It's a, I feel like everybody knows uh, if you if you know me or or have talked to me or have listened to me or have watched my Twitter. Not that I have any Twitter watchers, uh, followers, if you will. Um, it, JBJ is like. He's a maddening offensive guy, and his 2016 was an aberration. And you want the 2016 guy, I don't think you're going to get him, even though some people are saying we should buy it on J, uh, JBJ because of the launch angle stuff. I just, like, it, it, I'm just tired of talking about potential in someone's bat when there might not actually be potential there. Like, just let it be what it is. He's a defense guy. Uh, defense guys are great, but if you're paying him 10 to $15 million a year, I don't want it. Yeah. So before uh, you go, Pat, before you go, I have okay. breaking news here on Twitter. What is it? Okay, per Pete Abraham, oh, you, former you Red Sox third baseman Will Middlebrooks is retiring. He played, you know, with us in 2013 as the World Series champions, and I hate him forever for kicking Kevin Euclid out of Boston. So Without, that, yeah, that's the we news. We talked about Will Middlebrooks uh, on the show before. He had 17 so, yeah, that, home runs for the, for the World Series champion in Red Sox in 2013. 17 home runs. Integral part. 
Yeah, he was. He was the. Uh, he was the wonder kid. He was the next great thing. He was. Yes, I he got, got a jersey. Supplanted by Xander I Bogarts. bought into it. I bought into it so hard. Oh, I did too. I I have the jersey. I didn't buy a jersey, but I have the jersey. I don't know what happened to the jersey. I'm glad I don't have it anymore, but I don't have it. Um, but yeah, um, wishing Will Middlebrooks uh, luck in his life after baseball. It was fun watching in watching him for the times he did have success with the Red Sox and speak for yourself. (laughs) Yeah. But I, I wish him personally, nothing but the best. He was one of my favorite players for a period of time. Definitely feel like there was more, um, their potential for him than he, uh, actually showed on the field, but hopefully he will have a nice smooth transition to the retirement life. And he recovers from that serious injury. He sustained with the Phillies last spring training, but, now that I've been cut off and I've had time to digest and think about this JBJ response to Tebow couch potatoes. Oh wait, hey, did you guys see that thing about Johnny Gomes? Oh yeah, he's the he's the assistant base running or fielding coach, and he's like not really good at either in his career, so it's kind of weird. Yeah, I'm just happy he's going to be off the nest and broadcasts. Oh yeah, we, we're not going to be told uh, that that four balls make a walk and uh, three strikes. You see, he got on base because he wasn't out there. Yeah, exactly, right? Johnny Gomes has a, has a way with words and hopefully a way with coaching. Yeah. But <laughs> JBJ. You know, did you uh, also see the thing about uh, Jed Lowry? Uh, oh, he's doing he this signed, on purpose. He signed, I thought it was an accident. I thought, <laughs> no, no. So I'm just going to speak real quick <laughs> and, then, and then we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to be equitable about this. I was going to say... All right, wait, 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 would cost, but I mean, JBJ is formed a solid foundation as uh, obviously an excellent defender, a very good base runner, and an average hitter who, you know, still on a good year, he is wildly inconsistent with his bat, but on a good year, he could be an all star and he could be a 130, 115 WRC. That was a big drop off, but 115, 120 WRC plus, which he showcased in 2016. 2016, sure, looks like an aberration, but I would also argue that 2018 was too. His underlying numbers suggest he should have been a lot better hitter than he was and that was the same case for the first half and then it started leveling out and then he finished with some respectable offensive numbers still a little bit below league average but obviously jbj is still a very good player he was worth almost three wins last year he's been a two plus win player and look he's never going to hit like moogie Betts. he's not going to even hit like andrew benintendi but he's a damn good player he's an awesome glove and he's an average hitter and people pay for that a center fielder who's that capable and can actually hit a little bit, that is valuable. He's not going to group him in with him. Billy Hamilton, I hate that comparison that he can. he's only a defensive whiz. Jackie Bradley Jr. offers him a hit. He's got some pop, and sometimes he'll have some on-base percentage skills, but not really that much. Um, but, yeah, valuable player, and if you can get him for a three-, four-, five-year deal at, like, maybe 10-ish million a year, you don't know what's going to happen with these other guys, and that's not much for a guy who's been – uh, stalwart in, in, in center field for many years and obviously still has a little bit of potential. I know Chris doesn't obviously like that potential term, but he 
definitely is a solid player, and I expect him to be a three-win player going forward. That's all i got to say. And that's worth like $18 million on the market. Actually, more. It's like $24 million I'm a proud year. of you. That was only but like three minutes. No one's paying Jackie $24 million a so year. My th- my th- <laughs> so the war for dollar numbers are weird. But all right, what were you so poten- potential, like I'm okay with the word potential. I just, at some point, you have to stop saying potential. Uh, and realize it's never going to be reached. Yeah, exactly. Like, see, I, like I throw Bryce around Brent's, potential a lot liberally. Potential. Nah, I don't think sorry. Bryce Brent's actually. See, that that was I, I was too liberal with that term. Yes, I don't were. actually think Bryce Brent has potential. Just walk it back. I meant he has potential as a major leaguer, but down. he's definitely topped out at his skill level. And I say probably, we let Jackie walk and make Bryce Brent the center fielder. Of there the we go. That that's a that's. A I point. hate that I'm becoming this. You guys are making me this guy who's like this Bryce Brent supporter. I'm not. No, I was see, just trying. You're firmly in. You're firmly in JBJ's corner because you bought his jersey. I am. So uh, even you before don't that, that, I was well, firmly well, in his corner. Well, you, you don't want him to get traded. Yeah, that was a cause and effect thing. Because he was a JBJ guy, he bought the jersey. Yeah, exactly. and he jinxed it, right? Just, no, because I believe. But, but just by, I believe but just get by, over uh, yes. But just by just by nature of what you guys just mentioned about uh, the Sandy Leone thing and all of that with the articles, wouldn't that make uh, the whole buying a JBJ jersey something bad would happen to JBJ? Theoretically, no. I think so. No. I think so. I think he's going to get traded. He's not going to get traded. He'll be the Red Sox. <laughs> well, at the, and then you're no, going to be sad. too easy. At the rate Pat's going, he's going to get hit by a bus. Oh, maybe. <laughs> or he retires. Just, he, he just, just like, straight me, up retires for whatever reason. No. JB, look, I have my JBJ laminated Red Sox card right next. Actually, i got to find it. It's a rookie card. This is going to be worth a lot one day. <laughs> when he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, you keep, uh, you, you keep that up there. Right with that signed Bryce Brent's card? Oh, uh, yeah. I don't. Okay. I'm going to stop with this Bryce Brent's thing. <laughs> Let's just squash it and never talk about it again. But every yes, episode. Every episode, I'm going to get reminded of this. But right coming on the other side of this temporary break, I guess, we will have Mass Lives, Chris Cotillo, talking about his career and talking about the Red Sox. Enjoy, guys. Hello, everyone. We are joined by Mass Lives, Chris Cotillo. And he's here to talk about his career and everyone's favorite team, the Boston Red Sox. Chris, thanks for joining us today. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? I'm doing great. Uh, we also have Dave Latham, uh, the co-host of this podcast. He's also here to ask some awesome questions to Chris. Dave, say hi to everybody. Hello, everyone. And Chris, thanks again for joining us on the show. Anytime. Yeah. We're really excited to pick his brain. Uh, we actually had Christopher Smith on the show a couple of weeks ago, and also your Mass Live coworker. He was awesome. So mm-hmm. we're 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 following the train of getting uh, beat Red Sox beat writers named Chris on the show. So thank you for continuing that trend here at Red Sox and Filter. We appreciate. <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 uh really really confusing. Two Chris's Mass Live covering the Red Sox, so we make it work somehow. Yeah, you guys do a pretty dang good job. <laughs> So uh yeah, we also got friend, Christopher Hatfield from uh, uh com. So like it's pretty much Chris exclusive. So yeah, you need you need Chris Mason next, and you'll we'll have everybody covered. I think hey, he was need to get Chris Mason. Yeah, that that, <laughs> that was the goal. <laughs> um, so my first question for you is: I, I've been following your work and early reporting for some time uh, when you were with SB Nation, and I told you that already, but. Um, for those of you who don't know, you 
Chris, you were like the wonder kid who at like 18-ish started breaking MLB news before established reporters. Um, I want to know how your career in baseball reporting actually started and how you became so consistent at your craft and became so professional, too, at such a young age. Yeah, it's just you got to make the decision early. You know, you're not going to have any friends in high school, and then um, <laughs> that's, that's kind of – no, it was, uh, it was you know, something I always enjoyed growing up, and um, or, you know, baseball, obviously, growing up in central Massachusetts and loving sports and always trying to want to get into it. I think everybody comes to that realization at some point that you're not going to play in the majors or, or play professionally, and uh, you kind of have to find a way to be around the game another way. So for me – I was always told I was a good writer and thought I could kind of parlay those things and um, reached out to a lot of people, talked to a lot of different people via Twitter DM and email and stuff like that, you know, my junior and senior year in high school. And um, I was fortunate enough to break a couple stories uh, my senior year, a couple bigger free agent signings, Doug Fisher actually was a trade, going to the Nationals and Ricky Nolasco and free agent signing going to the Twins. So um, that kind of, you know, got people – interested in, in following me on Twitter and um, things kind of blew up that way and, and I'm always sure that it's like a snowball effect once you break a couple of things you gain credibility you're more apt to get more stories and um, you know it, it's that was kind of how I got my foot in the door five years at SB Nation part-time including four while I was in school and um, you know afterwards looked for a full-time job and that brought me home uh, back up to Boston and Joined Mass Live as a beat writer covering the Red Sox in May, um, and now just kind of the full responsibilities that entails every game and um, following one team instead of uh, all thirty. So it's been it's been a fun change and obviously a fun year for Red Sox fans to be around that team. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I wanted to piggyback off of that. Um, you were saying that you broke those stories your senior year of high school, and I remember during that time period with like they had a bunch of younger kids like yourself at the time breaking those stories before the reporters, like the people who actually worked for publications like ESPN and CBS and had these established sources and, and had that pedigree. Mm-hmm. And I also remember, like, there were a bunch of kids around your age who were breaking these stories, but they were also doing it in a manner that sometimes was false, and they came and they got a lot of scrutiny for breaking stories that were not accurate. Um, but you seem to stray away from that. How did you know to trust your source's credibility, and how did you, like, discern and stay away from not really ever having a misstep and not making false reports and jumping the gun in, in that respect? Yeah, I think you're just kind of knowing who you're talking to, knowing if they'd be in a place to know. Um, because, you know, in that industry, and I think, you know, this adage has been mentioned a billion times. Ken Rosenthal says it, you know, if you bat, you know, 500 in baseball, you're great. If you bat. 980 as one of these reporters, then you're terrible. Like you have to really be at a high standard and and get things right all the time. Guys like Ken and Jeff Passan and John Heyman, those types of guys, you know, they do get things right all the time. Um, the only one I think, you know, Evan Drellick screws up pretty much every day and he still has a job. So that's um, <laughs> that's that's a joke. You have to clarify when you say things publicly, but um, he's. I think, you know, everybody who, you know, has jobs kind of realizes that you can lose it with one bad scoop, one bad story. And, um, you know, to, to be really involved with sources, you have to, you know, know who you're talking to, know if they're in a position to know. Like I said, you know, know if it's a verified account you're DMing um, and, and try not to be fooled. I definitely had people try to leak me 
things that aren't true for a different personal gain. Why you kind of look at the motivations? Why is someone leaking you a story? And you're right. You know, there's a lot of people around my age that kind of came onto the scene back then when I was, you know, in high school and early college. And um, you know, I, I remember a kid, a pretty infamous one now, that guessed right. Uh, I think Hanley signing with the Red Sox or Pablo Sandoval signing with the Red Sox, and, and he was 12 or 13 at the time and became kind of the the, how is this 12 or 13 year old doing it? And then a week later he had Cespedes getting traded to the Reds and oh my God, one of Cespedes to the Reds and it never happened. So, um, <laughs> you know, people find out kind of quickly how, how the industry works and it's an interesting game. It's something that, you know, if my new job I do less of, the news breaking and, um, you know, that's, that can be good for, I think, the blood pressure and the sanity level at times. Um, <laughs> but, um, it's it's still an important aspect of it, and the guys who you know do it on a national level, like I said, Pass and Heyman Rosenthal, um, they're really good. Yeah, I, I, it sounds like, and, and I'm glad that your new job is less stressful than that, because yeah, that does seem like a lot of pressure. No, I, said, again, I like, said that aspect. I just said that aspect. Oh, that That's aspect. Cool. Yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the reporting, writing, aspect. writing, sure. writing the game story on like the 18 inning World Series game, stuff like that. That can be. Yeah, a that can bit be a yeah, bit of a but Smith, Smith, Smith actually had a game story on that one. So I had, uh, we kind of joked, we switch off every day and he always kind of had the really stressful games, which is good because I don't, I don't want them. So, um, <laughs> but the, that kind of thing, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a lot different. Yeah, for sure. And again, I, I do think that it's just incredibly impressive that you were able to discern who was reputable, who was not at, at that age and then to be mature enough to, you know, field and find the credible sources. And obviously it's led to this career now. So congratulations. That's awesome. Um, Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. Uh, my next question for you. Um, so you're, you've joined, when did you join the Red Sox team? It's been pretty recent, right? It's in the last couple of years. Yeah, I was, my first day was, uh, in the end of May. So okay. the first games I covered were early June. Okay. So I wanted to know what, what was that moment like when you were, able to cover the Red Sox for the first time. Was there any aspect of that prospect of that process that was intimidating or still is intimidating to you? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, you know, I think a very important part of this, and I covered all-star games and winter meetings before, so it's easy to be starstruck at first, and, you know, especially when you're young and getting into this and you're around, you know, these players for the first time and, you know, just trying to be able to realize that everybody's just a person and, um, nobody is larger than life, and I, that that has all gone well for me, except uh, for guys that were on the 2014. So <laughs> any of those guys are around, and I find that very intimidating still. Um, you know, at the winter meetings, even seeing you know like Veritek and Pedro, and anytime Ortiz is around, I still kind of get nervous. So um, you know, those kind of things are are the intimidating part. I mean, obviously, um, you know, there's sometimes you, you just like you kind of. I always say, walking into Fenway, you know, for the thousand times the school is doing it for the first, and that kind of still applies, which is good. Um, but it's, uh, you know, being in the clubhouse, being in the dugout before games, especially during the playoffs, kind of, it, it is intimidating because you kind of never thought you'd be there. Um, or if you did, you thought you'd, you know, not be a five six reporter. You thought you'd be like playing shortstop or something. So intimidating, <laughs> dis- disappointing, however you want to put it there. Um, but no, it's uh, it, it's still cool every day. So I think um, if it wasn't, then I would be doing the wrong thing. 
Oh, yeah, for sure. So moving um, to more broader questions, uh, specifically this one's going to deal with the MLB, and then I'll let Dave ask one of his questions. But I want to know um, from your perspective, because you've probably been a consumer of not just Red Sox news, but you've probably been, I assume, following major league transactions as, as well. Um, so I want to know, uh, of course, last year, historically, the market was incredibly sparse for players, the free agent market, that is. Um, I want to know what you think of this year's free agent market in comparison. Do you think that there is more wealth being distributed to the players, or do you think it is still following the trend that it was set last year? I think it's still following the trend. I think, obviously, we'll see, we've seen a couple of uh, bigger deals get done that have been you know, good for the player, and you know, like Lance Lynn get three years and thirty million dollars from Texas. I don't know how, but you know, that's a deal that <laughs> you know kind of will uh, will be like you know. I looked at that and said, okay, man, the market might be healthy actually. But you see deals like you know the Grandal deal yesterday was weird because he mm. apparently turned down a four-year, sixty million dollar offer from the Mets. Um, the Brewers, you know, were able to get him for one year, I think eighteen two five or something like that, and then. Um, Dozier today to Washington, one year, nine million. You're seeing those kind of deals where, you know, there's not a lot of long-term deals. Teams are kind of willing to pay up maybe, um, for the one year, but aren't willing to commit a lot of years. You know, even some of the relievers that you thought would get three have gotten two. So good for guys like Joe Kelly and, and Familia and Zach Britton who get the guaranteed three because that's not happening frequently. Um, you know, once the numbers come down for Machado and Harper, we can, re- I can really answer that question. Um, more fully, I just think, you know, in terms of the product of what hot stove season is and what the MLB off season is, I think, you know, in, in the six, I guess, well, 2013, I guess, was my first one, really. So I guess it's probably my seventh off season, you know, fully covering it. I think the product has gone down significantly, you know, if you consider it a product. You know, I always found the winter meetings and the hot stove to be, you know, among the most interesting times of the year, along with the trade deadline and, and things like that. And it's just, you know, when it's when it's stretched out like this and, you know, big big guys are signing during spring training, which happened last year, it's not even fun. You know, it has like it's almost yeah. has like a desperation feel to it. Um and you know, it's there's previous years where I remember, you know, the first winter meetings I went to, Cano to the Mariners happened during that and um Granderson to the Mets and some really big, you know, multi year deals are happening. Um, Ellsbury to the Yankees at that point, which great move for the Red Sox looking back. Um, I think, you know, you have a lot of really, like, big moves that are happening right during the winter meetings or right before, and um, you just don't see that really as much anymore. You talked a lot about, um, just now, about going through, like, league-wide what's happening with the market. I want to talk specifically about Craig Kimbrell. Now, just about everyone in the world knew that entering the offseason, the Red Sox would be looking for at least one relief arm. Most of them are off the shelves. But Kimbrell isn't. A lot of people were connecting the dots that Kimbrell would be coming back to town on some kind of a deal. But then a few days ago, Dave Dombrowski came out and said that they're still not looking for a big money reliever. They're probably not going to break the bank for any one guy. Uh, what's your feeling on, like, will Kimbrell come back, do you think? And if not, who do you think they'll get to replace him? Yeah, I wrote, you know, a couple weeks ago, or, or one week ago, I guess now, that you know, I thought that that was just uh, an effort by Dombrowski to posture, um, and I, I believe the Red Sox at that time were the favorite. Now, you know, I think, you know, he do- he did double down, so um, whether that's just a really you know, deep cover posturing move or, you know, at this point you have to think that he actually means it. So, 
And I think once they're kind of able to settle the arbitration dust, get the nine deals done that they have to tomorrow, which they're working hard on right now, um, they will turn, you know, their attention kind of fully to seeing if they can get a reliever. You know, there's a lot of guys I outlined in a column today. There's a lot of guys still out there. Um, a lot of guys who are, you know, still free agents, guys that, you know, you might be able to get on minor league deals or low guarantee one year deals. And, you know, I think they're going to kind of exhaust those options and look into that. Um, but Kimbrell, you know, could be in the same kind of boat. We saw Grandall felt like his market had collapsed to the point where he needed to take a one-year deal. I'm not saying that's going to happen with Kimbrell, but, you know, obviously, you know, at this point in the winter, prices aren't going up. Um, and so that could play in the Red Sox favor. You know, I think that the door is still open. Um, I really put it, you know, it's changed a few times. At the beginning of the offseason, I would have said probably 25% chance he comes back. At certain points at the winter meetings, I would have said a 10% chance he comes back. As of last week, after Robertson and, and Britton went off the board, maybe a, a 60, 65% chance he comes back. And now let's just go with 50-50 because, um, you know, they need the price to fall a little bit. I just don't see who else would be in on him because, you know, all the other rumored suitors have gotten guys elsewhere. Yeah, I'm yeah. sort of in the same boat with that. I, my guess is, like, in this side, obviously I'm going off nothing more than my gut, but I'd say it's probably more like 60-65 in my eyes just because, you know, when Dombrowski said he's still not, like, interested in making a big move for a reliever, I just from, thought back to last year when J.D. was a free agent and he was saying, yeah, we're happy going into spring training with – we're happy going into the season with this lineup as it is right now. And I'm, you know, no, he wasn't. He signed J.D. So hopefully right. it is just like, you know, a wait for the price to drop type of a deal. At least that's what I mm-hmm. think is going to happen. Yeah, and it very well could be. Yeah. So um, yeah. on another – side in the note um so looking ahead to spring training the red sox announced that uh they've made a few uh non-roster invitees most notably uh bobby dalbeck uh cj chatham and mike schwarren i uh, just wanted to ask you who are you going to be looking out for from that group of uh the non-roster invitees yeah I mean, there's some exciting names and some guys that you know we're going to see uh, fenway in the future i think you know in terms of position players none of those guys are probably going to make an impact on the major league side this year. I think they're they're pretty good, uh, pretty well covered with position players. So for me, you know, in terms of non-roster invitees, you're looking at some guys who, you know, could make an impact, um, you know, bullpen-wise. There's some three three guys they signed, I think, really could. You know, Carson Smith coming back. He's not going to be healthy at the beginning of the year, but I expect him to see, in the major, see him in the majors at some point. Zach Putnam's a guy who was out for all last year, but was really good with the White Sox when he was um, healthy. I think he'll get a legit shot to compete for a bullpen spot, as well as Erasmo Ramirez, who's a guy that's familiar to the Red Sox, who's with the Rays, has been in the majors a lot in the last few years. So, you know, out of, out of the non-roster guys, you know, they have some arms. You know, Travis Lakins and some of the other guys that, that could, you know, be relievers um, at some point. So, um, you know, I think position-wise, they're set. The only real question mark being Pedroia. And the bullpen, you know, they have some arms there that are intriguing, at least to me, uh, to see how they perform down Fort Myers. So you mentioned you mentioned Bedroya, and I don't know if you want to expand on that more, Dave, but um, to try to tie it in, did, who do you see as Boston starting second baseman come opening day? Do you think Bedroya has a realistic shot of being healthy enough? Yeah, I think it's Pedroya until we're told otherwise. Um, and, you know, they still have, you know, they if, is not ready. They want to bring someone in in the Kinsler mold. I think they want to lessen the workload for Nunez and, and Holt and, um, you know, maybe Zue Lin would be kind of the guy who 
hopefully we get some some run there. But there's so many free agent second basemen available. I tweeted today, you know, if, the, if Brian Dozier's going for one year, $9 million, then you can get someone cheap. I mean, there's a ton of guys. Tim Beckham's a guy that signed today for like a million seventy five, something like that. You know, you're going to be able to get someone for cheap. Logan Forsythe might be an option. Um, you know, obviously they're not going to be in it for DJ LeMay. He's the top guy out there. But there's really a, a lot of second basemen, a lot of veterans. And, um, you know, you, you can go out and find one um, just as an insurance policy. But, you know, this next week will be important for Petroya as he starts running. Um, we'll see, you know, how he responds to that. And if he responds well and he is fine in Fort Myers, then it's his job, obviously. Yeah. Um, and you also mentioned before um, regarding the arbitration-eligible players. Um, obviously, we, you just tweeted out maybe two hours ago that Stephen Wright and the Red Sox reached arbitration, um, or they reached a deal to settle it. Um, so I was wondering, obviously, Mookie Betts and the Red Sox couldn't settle anything before the arbitration deadline, and they had to actually go into arbitration. Um, my last question for you is, which arbitration-eligible player do you see as the most likely to actually have to go through arbitration among the current Red Sox? It's Mookie again. You know, yeah. I think uh, that they're employing that filing trial, um, which, you know, I don't know all the logistics behind why every team is now doing that, but if you don't, there's no room to agree to a number after tomorrow at 1. You basically exchange, and then you're going to go to that, that trial, and it's a very tough process because you basically have to argue for why your player, who you're going to want to extend someday, is bad. And that is really uh, weird. The Red Sox, you know, I read today, Jeff Passon said they just showed highlight videos of Chris Bryant to try to show that you know, Chris Bryant was a little bit better than Mookie and try not to insult him. So an interesting strategy. It obviously didn't work because they lost. Um, I think he's the most likely guy, um, and it, it'll be really, you know, uh, Interesting to see if they can get something done. I'm sure he's their main focus heading into tomorrow. Do you have any conception of how much you think they'll actually settle with and how much he'll make in 2019? I think he's going to shoot for something in the 18 to 20 million range, and um, we'll see what they come back with. They should, they should, um, you know, because they want to extend him, they should give him what he wants. Yeah, and I, I yeah, I, I 100% agree with you, and I, I think people have been were talking about that even last year before he was you know, the superstar player that he was. I mean, obviously he was in the upper tier of Red Sox play, or of MLB players, but last year he obviously took himself to a whole new level. And it's the, the case just is going to mount for the extension and for him to get more money in 2019. Uh, Dave, do you have any final yeah. questions you want to ask, Chris? Um, I have one more rhetorical question. I have one more uh, actual question. So um, the rhetorical one is if the Red Sox do go to, like, arbitration with Mookie, what – why do they possibly think they stand a case? I mean, he just the dude just won MVP. Just right, bam. exactly. It'll be a record-setting deal. You know, I think, and, and there's a lot of time and effort that goes into it, but they're also, you know, up against luxury tax thresholds and stuff like that. So um, I agree they should just pay him and give him what he wants. But, um, you know, they have their reasonings for everything and trying to save money if they can, get the arbiter to side with them. You know, they might as well, I guess, in their mind, see – if they can save some money on them, but I wouldn't because, you know, I've heard those arbitration hearings can get nasty. Like I said, you're, you have to disparage your own guy, and that, you know, as it's all business at the end of the day. It's not personal, but still, it, it's done, it can't be helpful for the relationship. Yeah, sure. And I just always felt like an odd situation, but on to the uh, more 
actual question. Regarding the Red Sox bullpen right now, they have a lot of interesting young arms, like we mentioned earlier, uh, Travis Lincolns, Durbin Feltman probably needs some time in the minors, but he'll be ready sooner rather than later. But there's a bit of a logjam in terms of guys that are in the majors and don't have options, guys like uh, Heath Embry, Brian Johnson. I don't believe uh, Brandon Workman has any more options anymore, but I might be wrong about that. Um, I think right. the Red Sox bullpen shaking out, uh, at least for opening day, in terms of all the young arms that have pretty high ceilings as compared to the sort of known commodities that we're kind of stuck with on the major league roster. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, they kept Embry for all last year, and Workman was a guy that had options when he came up and down, even though Workman was, you know, at times more effective. Um, you know, Johnson was out of options, so he was on the roster the whole year. Uh, they really liked Johnson's versatility and, and being kind of a guy who could start games and come out of the bullpen, a long guy, whatever. Um, you know, in terms of the guys, I think this is the last chance for Tyler Thornburg. Uh, spring training will be his last chance for candidate to get this handy for assignment if they don't see him bouncing back enough. You know, they signed him to a non-guaranteed deal, so that kind of shows that. Um, but in terms of the rest of the guys, they're all probably going to be in the mix. Um, pending, you know, disaster, we could see someone, you know, get hurt in spring training. Um, you know, hopefully that won't happen, but get hurt in spring training, perform really badly, have something going on, and, and things could change. But, you know, all those guys are likely to be a part of it right now. Um and uh, Thornburg is the one, though, that uh, the stakes are a little bit higher for him. Yeah. All right, yeah. Yeah, that, that yeah. certainly makes sense. Um, I'm sure, obviously, that we'll see how that plays out in the next couple months. But, uh, yeah, Chris, um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, what the people on, if they're listening and want to follow you on Twitter, they can go at Chris Cotillo. That's your handle, right? Yep, C-O-T-I-L-O-L. D-O-T-I-L-O-L-O. Give him a follow. He's one of the best Red Sox beat writers around. And, again, man, hey, thank you so much for coming on and spending some time with us. Um, and enjoy spring training, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I want to thank Chris again for coming on the show. He did awesome. Uh, you can follow him, as I said before, at Chris Cotillo on Twitter. Uh, definitely worth a follow. One of the best beat writers uh, the Red Sox have to offer. Um, for sure. Um, so, yeah, that's going to do it for this episode, guys. Uh, you can listen to this this podcast on a variety of platforms, including SoundCloud, iTunes. And we're on Spotify. i got to keep saying that. Please follow us on there. Chris did a lot of great legwork and hard work to get us on there. So definitely follow us. Um, and if the grueling truth, our lovely affiliates post, uh, decides to post this episode around their spears, too, you can be listened on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, YouTube, a lot of basically you can listen to it anywhere and you should because we're giving you the red Sox talk and i hope you enjoy it um but yeah go red Sox, and, and we'll see you next week or you will listen to us next week bye guys hey, you really need to just do like a blooper I'm gonna, reel I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna create just a <laughs> He look, he was a very sweet kid, but he—I mean, he's older than me, so I shouldn't even call him kid. But <laughs> you probably he, call uh, me a kid, child. Uh, I'm old enough kid. to be your dad, child. You, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, you're I not, Chris. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, I don't know what you were doing at eight years old, but <laughs> that's impressive. I was a uh, I was a stud. You were a stud. I could tell. <laughs> Communications major gets charged with a crime and then tries to represent himself in court. It just it doesn't work. I I do it. You do it. I'd try it. I think you do a good job. I mean, save 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 legal fees. Hypothetically. Yeah. No, I, I would I would. I, if I get in arguments, I get super flustered. So, like, when an angry customer approaches the branch, I get really flustered. And, uh, yeah, hands start shaking, you know, and I, if I was All crying, the great skills you want in a lawyer. Exactly. So, you know, I'll be in the bathroom, sweating, nervous. Uh, so, like, the cross-examination would not go well. No, not at all. I don't think no. any of the examinations go very well. <laughs> my my cat is puking right next to me right now. This is, is this a bad time to start then, or we're going to wait till the upheaval is over? That's delicious. Are you going to want to clean it up real quick, or should we just get this going? <laughs> what do you want to do? Play by play of what's going on in my kitchen right now. Um, <laughs> that was just... <laughs> I'll clean it up afterwards. <laughs> okay. All right.